All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us. We thank you, Jesus, for calling us by name and for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. And we just ask you to lead us and guide us as we dive into your word today and listen to more about Sabbath. And Father, we just ask you to stir our hearts and to stir our hope and uh, that we would just glorify you in our lives and learn how to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is too loud. Um, yeah, last week we started talking about Sabbath. And how many of you um, started implementing some of the things, the challenge? So there was 24 minutes a day of rest and two, picking a Sabbath day and then trying to start with two hours and 40 minutes of actual Sabbath rest on that day. Anybody take the challenge? A few of you? All right, I know I have. I made Sunday my uh, Sabbath day for now, and um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I was going to go to the store today, and I'm like, that's not rest for me. <laughs> so I'm not going to go to the store today, and I'm going to chill. Um, so today we're going to continue talking about Sabbath and if I had a title, it would be Sabbath in the Age to Come. So I encouraged everyone uh, with an encouragement the Lord gave of, of uh, there's a, a Sabbath rest for us every day. There is a Sabbath rest for us every week, a Sabbath day, a full 24-hour day, and there is a Sabbath rest for us in the age to come. And so this is uh, one of the topic, one of the uh, spiritual disciplines of abstinence that we're focusing on. You can see them all up on the screen. Screen stopping, silence and solitude, slowing, Sabbath, and self-restraint, which self-restraint uh, we talked about fasting on that day. And so um, we're going to keep talking about Sabbath. And if you remember the definition of spiritual discipline, it's an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. And uh, these disciplines that we are focusing on are all about becoming like Jesus, abiding with Jesus, and remaining in him so we can function in cooperation with him. And it's also, to go along with what we were talking about this morning, it is a way for us to be with him intimately and for, uh, for us to know God and then also to be known by him. How many of you want to know God? How many of you want to be known by him? I want to be known by him. I noticed in my life that all of the longings and the desires of my heart and the things that have struggled, I've struggled with in my life over all the years all boil down to God is my answer to everything, and I just really want to be known by God. We all want to be known. And God, he wants you to know today. He, he knows you, and he wants to know you more. So these disciplines are all about pausing so that way we can get into that relationship with Jesus, find rest, and know him. And um, if you're over busy, if you're stressed out and anxious, afraid, distracted, exhausted, and we could list a whole bunch more, then you can know that you need to start implementing some of these uh, disciplines and these ways of Jesus. And um, so as we talked about already, the encouragement that the Lord gave us was a Sabbath for Every day, a Sabbath for every week, Sabbath day, and the Sabbath for the age to come. And that's what we're going to focus on. 
Um, Hebrews 4. So I'm going to have a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Some of it's going to be on the screen. Some of it's just going to be references. And I really questioned if I should read as much scripture as I'm going to today, but in light of the topic, um, I felt that it was necessary, and the scripture, some of the passages are somewhat lengthy. Um, they're very, uh, they're, they're pictures of the age to come, and so I need to read them so that way you can see the pictures that God has given us of what is to come and what that Sabbath rest is going to look like. So just a forewarning there, that there's going to be quite a bit of scripture. But anyways, Hebrews 4.1 says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Let me go to verse 8 through 11. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And the children of Israel is who uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But it says, make every effort to enter into that rest. There is a promise of rest for us. It's a promise. How many have made a promise? How many have broke the promise? Don't, do not raise your hand right now. Okay. God doesn't break his promises. There is a promise of Sabbath rest for us. And we are encouraged to make every single effort possible to enter it. That's why we've been talking about these disciplines of abstinence. We have to make an effort to do them because they're not something that we generally want to do. I can't tell you how many times in my life I'm going through my day and I can hear Jesus nudging me like, Andrew, 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 pause for a second. Andrew, I'm like, one second, Jesus. How many of you have one second in Jesus? Anybody? Yeah, we all have, right? So we need to make every effort to enter that rest. And one of the biggest reasons we do not live in rest as Jesus did is because we do not make every effort to enter it. And one of the biggest reasons we don't make every effort is because we don't realize, believe in, or understand the promise of Sabbath rest that is coming for eternity. We don't realize it or know it. We don't believe in it for some reason, or we don't understand it. And when we don't see our desires coming to pass or lose sight of that hope that is coming, it causes fear, anxiety, worry, and leads to hopelessness. How many of you have ever felt hopeless? I have. I know I have. How we envision our future plays a major part in our life. What is the hope that you have for your future. Just think about it for a second. What is the hope you have for your future? A nice house? New car? A family? It's a wonderful thing. More money in the bank? Debt-free? All those good things? A personal chef? <laughs> I would love a personal chef. Um, what is the hope that you have? John Eldridge, um, so there's a book 
that I love called All Things New by John Eldridge. I would highly recommend anybody here to read it if you're looking for hope and just wanting to see what God has for you in the future. But he says this, how you envision your, how you envision your future impacts your current experience more than anything else. Children, children starting the long school year feel very different about wake, waking up each morning than those who know summer vacation is just a few days away. The woman recently served divorce papers feels very differently about her life than the woman who wakes up the day before her wedding. How we feel about our future has enormous consequences for our hearts right now. If you knew that God was going to restore your life and everything you love any day, if you believed a great and glorious goodness was coming to you, not in a vague heaven, but right here on this earth, you would have a hope to see you through anything. As Hebrews 6.19 says, you would have an anchor for your soul and an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. How we envision our future plays a major role in our life. And hope is an incredibly powerful virtue in Scripture. We need hope. We have to have hope every single day. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. How many of you have hoped for something and didn't see it coming? How to make you feel? Discouraged, awful. But then, if you see like a glimmer of what you're looking for, all of a sudden, what happens? You come back to life a little bit, right? So hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hebrews 6.19, again, it says this, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. How many of you are boaters? Yeah? Anchors do what? They hold your boat steady. Right? Hope holds us steady. And our hope is in Jesus, right? Our hope is in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. The biblical definition of hope is this. It's confident expectation. Confident expectation. That is biblical hope. It's not wishful thinking. How many times in, our, in your day, or, you know, I hope so, you know, I hope, I hope I find this, I hope I get this, I hope this works out, I hope the day gets better. We're saying it like, I, I wish, I'm really wishing it gets better. No. Biblical hope is confident expectation. So you can read Proverbs 13, 12. When confident expectation is, is deferred, it makes your heart sick. This confident expectation we have as an anchor of the soul. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Or, now faith is the substance of things we are confidently expecting to come to pass. The evidence of things not seen. So if you don't have hope, your faith has no substance. If you're struggling with your faith right now, trying to believe God for anything, it could be very well that your hope is gone because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you don't have hope, your faith doesn't work, it's dead. And if you don't have hope, you will have no rest 
and you will have no Sabbath. None. Guaranteed. And part of making every effort to enter Sabbath rest is to keep our hope in view. And that's why in all of the New Testament and all the prophets, actually all the way back to Genesis when God tells Satan, I'm going to crush your head, I'm going to send my seed, he's going to crush your head, and I'm going to restore everything. All the way back there, in all the prophets, all the New Testament books, there is always teaching or encouragement and a strong focus on the return of Jesus and the Sabbath rest that is to come. The restoration of all things that started in the garden. The peace of Eden. It's focused on all the time. And our early church, brothers and sisters, this was uh, what held them together. They were, the church started in what? In a time of captivity, in a time of violence, in a time of persecution like never before. And somehow the gospel got to us. And it was because they had faith in a hope that was going to come to pass, which is the Sabbath rest that God has for us. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, write it down. Make sure you read it this week. But that whole chapter is about Jesus overcoming death and the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead and the resurrection of the saints, us coming to life fully alive with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 tells us not to sorrow as those who have no hope because Jesus is coming with redemption. So this is actually, this, this whole thing that I'm talking about is one of the things that keeps me going every day uh, whenever I think about my mom. So all of, many of us have lost loved ones, someone that we hold dear to us. I don't sorrow as the world sorrows because I know where she's at and I know the hope that is coming for all of us. Amen? Amen? So we don't sorrow. And Paul always talked about this stuff. All of the disciples talked about it. Second Peter 3.12, Paul encourages us to look for the hastening, sorry, to look for and hasten the day of Christ's return. He tells us we can actually hasten it. We can actually make it come faster. Otherwise, why would he tell us to hasten it? How do we do that? By spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus, you know? Revelation 22, 6 and 7. This topic is so important that Jesus gave an entire book on his return and the promise of what's to come to John. And it's the book of Revelation. It's the final book in the Bible. And verse 6 and 7 says this. Then he said to me, so and the angel is speaking to John, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And Jesus says here in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book of Revelation. How much more should we focus on it? If it's blessed, we're blessed because we are keeping the hope of his return and the Sabbath rest that is coming to us alive. We have to keep it in view. 
The teaching of the age to come, the Sabbath rest to come, was central and key to staying in a state of rest and peace for the early church. And they had to have it because, to be blunt, the world is a nightmare. We are living in the worst case scenario of our sin. This is the worst case scenario. Okay? Thank God for Jesus. I mean, I guess it could be worse if Jesus decided, eh, eh, just let him deal with it. No, that's not what he did. But we're living in a nightmare of a world. I don't care how good your life is, how much money you have, how peaceful of a town you live in. This world is, right now, a wasteland. Spiritually speaking, sure, there's beautiful beaches that we get to go to and mountains that we can look at and all the wonders of God's creation is still there. But, but this is not the type of world we're, we're created to live in. And so, to, so today, this is what I want to focus on and encourage you with. And this is the Lord's encouragement to us. There is a Sabbath day forever coming to you and me, to all of us that know him. So we're going to start talking about the renewal of all things. And the first thing I want you to know is that your heart was made for the kingdom of God. Your heart was made for the kingdom of God. John Eldridge writes again, I'll let you in on a little secret. Your heart is made for the kingdom of God. This might be the most powerful, or sorry, the most important thing anyone will ever tell you about yourself. Your heart only thrives in one habitat, and that safe place is called the kingdom of God. That is where we thrive. Your heart was made for Sabbath rest in the kingdom of God. You were made to live in Eden. Everybody say, I was made to live in Eden. Okay, this is the habitat you were made for. Let this truth and knowledge just settle in for you, into you for a moment. How does it make you feel to think about, I was made to live in perfection, in beauty, in an amazing garden, full of life, never to fear or worry, to walk with Jesus in the cool of the morning. To hang out with all the animals. Ride on lions and play with snakes and whatever you want to do. That would be crazy right now, right? Your heart was made for the kingdom. And God is going to make all things new. How often do you think about that? Isaiah sixty-five seventeen says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. For the former shall not, shall not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.5 Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I'm firing these uh, verses off here. Matthew 19.28-29 Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things... When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, will have, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone, that would be us, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's a lot. A hundred times as much. When Jesus says the renewal of all things, he uses the Greek word, 
Well, it's written in a Greek word. Renewal means, is the word palingenesia. Can't really say it well. Palin means again. Genesia means beginning. Which means, again, the beginning. Or Genesis, again. Eden restored. Jesus came to set us free from sin and then to renew everything. Imagining it, though, is difficult. How do we picture what the Sabbath day's rest is going to look like? So I want to take us through a little progression because the Bible gives us a progression. Believe it or not, you know, the Bible tells us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no man can know what God has in store for those who love him. And that is true. We are not going to fully know and understand until we are in it. But the Bible, he gave us lots of pictures. And he gave us a progression of, what, of how things are going to work out. And I want to go through the, progr- the progression um, and just lay it out for us because a lot of times we think when Jesus comes back, we're just going to have new bodies and then he's just going to wave his hand and the whole earth's going to be perfect again, and then um, we just live with them forever. Or some people don't even know, like, don't believe that, and they just think, we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to be in heaven somewhere, and that's all that's going to happen, and then we'll just be floating on clouds and whatever. That's not what's going to happen. The Bible tells us there's a progression. There's three things. The first thing that's going to happen is Armageddon and the return of Jesus. We talked about this whole end, the end times last year, and a lot of times we get scared when we hear about Armageddon. You know, the end of the world. All the movies are like, you're going to wind up living in a wasteland and it's, you're, you're just going to be suffering and the world is going to try to rebuild itself. No, Armageddon is actually the beginning of the renewal for us. It's Jesus coming and wiping out the devil and his army, the Antichrist and his army. This, is, this Armageddon is a wonderful thing for the people of God. And Jesus comes back, and then we go to the millennial reign of Christ, and then the renewal of all things. I'm not going to focus on number one today, because we'll do that another time when we go through the end time stuff again. What I want to focus on right now, though, is the millennial reign of Christ. So, we go through Armageddon, and the tribulation, and all that stuff, and then we get to this. Jesus comes back. Millennial means a thousand, a thousand years. And a lot of us have not been taught on what is going to happen, but the Bible tells us what is going to happen. So you can write all these verses down. I'm just going to read some of them to you. So when Jesus comes back, first thing that happens is Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The devil will not be on this earth. That's the beginning of our rest. Amen? That's how it starts. Our enemy is thrown into the bottomless pit. You can read this in Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3. And Jesus begins his reign on the earth with his saints. Next, we will have resurrected brand new bodies. How many are you looking forward to that? How many are, tired, how many are tired of waking up with aches and pains? You know, worrying, I don't want to get sick, you know. Maybe you're not so good at walking. Maybe you have a bum eye or something like that. Listen. You're going to have a perfect body. Maybe abs. Who knows? I don't know. I hope so. I've never seen mine, so. No. Perfect bodies. Guys, we're going to, it says, 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we have, 
Now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, you know, he walked through walls. I hope I can walk through a wall. He still ate food. Guess what? We're going to still eat food. Did you know you're still going to eat food in the kingdom of God? That's good news. Because I like it a lot. Jesus will be the king of the earth and rule from Jerusalem. So, guys, guess what? You know, we live in this part of the earth, and I don't know where we're going to be living on the earth, all of us, like, because we're going to get to some interesting things here. But Jesus is going to rule from Israel. So our home is going to be in Israel as well, in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 3.17 says, At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather to, in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So, Jesus is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. Then there's going to be a new fourth temple built in Jerusalem. I don't know who's read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. If you didn't know, Ezekiel is given a vision of the new temple and its specs to the T. And he's shown many of the things that are going to happen in the millennial reign of Christ. That's what Ezekiel 40 through 48 is all about. So there's going to be a new temple. You're going to see the 12 tribes of Israel restored, the land divvied up to them according to the way it was spoken of to Moses. You're going to see some interesting things happen. You're going to see sacrifices begin according to Ezekiel 40 through 48. For what reason? I thought we don't need sacrifices anymore because we're under the blood of Christ. That is true. But did you know that you're going to be, going to be living among mortal people? There's going to be nations of mortals. We're going to be immortal living amongst mortals. Think about that. How does that make you feel? Has anybody ever, have you ever thought about that? Who hasn't thought about that? Yeah, that's, that's exciting to me. I'm like, wow. Because not everyone dies during Armageddon. Armageddon is centered in where? The Middle East. North Africa, Middle East, all centered on Israel. The Antichrist actually doesn't take over the whole world. He only has a coalition. He's one of ten, well, he's the eleventh, and then he takes down three other kings. So there's like eight following him. And he does make agreements with other nations, it says but not the entire world. Which means when Jesus comes back and he calls all of his saints and we're raptured up to him and we're gathered together from the four corners of the earth and from heaven, he's pulling us away to be with him, to come back with him, but there's still people all over the earth. There's still people in South America. Now there's going to be a lot less people, sure, because tribulation is a rough time. But there are going to be mortals on this earth. Listen to what Zechariah 14, 16 through 19 says. Because we're going to be celebrating the Lord's feast. We're going to be having a great old time. But this is serious. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, so there's all these nations on the earth still, with a bunch of mortal people, which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of, of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, 
on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, then they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Which means that, look, guys, <clears throat> the next thing is we are ruling and judging the earth. Like, this Sabbath rest, we are immortal, living among mortals, and we are judging and ruling the earth because people on this earth are still going to get to choose if they want to listen to Jesus or not, even after they saw him come from the sky. That is crazy. Because if I saw somebody come from the sky that was foretold to come from the sky 2,000 years after he died, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to listen to him. But some nations aren't going to listen to him. And so that's why we're going to be ruling and judging with him. Revelation 2, 11 says, so this is what Jesus speaks to the churches at the beginning of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2, 26 through 27. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. Revelation 24 through 6 is key to understanding this, this resurrection, and that we'll be ruling and reigning. But while we're ruling and reigning, we are going to be in complete peace because we are completely unified with Jesus. We're not going to be tempted anymore. How many are going to love that? You're not going to worry about anything ever more anymore. You're not going to fear anything. I imagine that we will be walking out our callings in our life perfectly, living our lives on this earth, pointing people to Jesus, ruling and reigning, enjoying the jobs that the Lord gives us to do, the work that he gives us to do. How many of you enjoy the work that the Lord has given you to do every single day, waking up, going to your you know, factory jobs? or you know, How many of you get discontented with work? Let me just ask that. Anybody? You're never going to get discontented with work again. With Jesus, nothing is lost. In the millennial reign of Christ, this is the beginning of the renewal. There's nothing lost with Jesus. Nothing. Whatever you feel like you've lost in your life, the Lord is going to restore it during this time. And we are going to... It's going to be amazing. What will the earth look like? I'm going to read these verses. Luke 13, 29. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. The earth is going to be full of feasting in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 51.11 Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. No more sorrow. No more sighing. Micah 4.1-4 As I read these passages, I just want you to, I know you might be tired. It's a lot of words. I get it. But really try to just picture what Jesus is showing us through his prophets and through his word of what the world is going to look like as we are ruling and reigning with him. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord, this is Micah, 
of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we, we may walk in his paths. The law of God, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will, the, nor will they train for war anymore. So there's peace on this earth. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. That verse 4, how many of you are introverted? Like to be by yourself? Okay, this is your verse, and you need to hold on to it with every ounce of, of strength in you. It says, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. You're going to have your own tree to sit under, and it says, no one will make you afraid. No one's going to come bother you. It's going to be peaceful. Oh, you just sit under this tree and relax. Okay, hold on to that verse, introverts. And if you're not an introvert and you love trees, hold on to the verse as well. Isaiah 68. I'm sorry, 65, 18 through 25. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So listen, people are still going to be living on this earth and God is going to extend the ages of people according to this passage then they'll be living for hundreds of years during the thousand year reign of Christ. Pretty awesome. And we will be ruling and reigning with Christ as immortals because we will never die. Okay, where was I? They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Paul, I know you love building houses. I don't know... If you still love building houses, but in the kingdom of God, there's still going to be houses, okay? And we're going to build them, okay? They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. If you love gardening, there you go. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the day of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed for misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf will lay, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the dust and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So there's peace among the wild animals. Isaiah eleven six and 9, same thing. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So the animals aren't going to be killing each other anymore. The nursing child shall play in the cobra's hole. Who has a nursing child? Okay, your child will be able to play with snakes and not get hurt. It's a really interesting picture. 
I mean, for real. And the weaned child put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not be hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Ezekiel 47, 6-12. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Ereba, where it enters the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because why? It's dead. Yes, there's no living water flowing into it. I'm sorry, and it, nothing's flowing out of it, sorry. And it just, nothing lives in it because there's no fresh water and there's nothing flowing out of it for fresh water to keep coming in. So everything that goes in just keeps dying. Okay. When it empties into the sea, the salt water there becomes fresh. So this, the, the Dead Sea is going to be a fresh sea. They will, uh, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water, this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. Who here likes fishing? Anybody? Okay. You're going to be able to fish in the kingdom of God. Okay? Which means that, guys, there's going to be all kinds of things for us to do. Anything that you love and desire, hobbies, Whatever, crafts, sports, games. Listen, it's all going to be in the kingdom of God. But it says this, um, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is the river of life that the Lord's talking about here. Can you imagine a fruit tree that bears fruit every month? That's amazing. So there's still going to be mountains and forests and lakes and rivers and animals and probably, every, and probably extinct ones. There's going to be all the things you enjoy and love about nature. Animals, sports, games, crafts, arts, and all the creativity, inventions, and maybe te- and technology. You figure people are still going to be coming to Israel from all over the world, so there's going to be some type of way to transport themselves through, whether God allows there to be some type of new Star Trek-type technology. I don't know. But there's going to be technology and all kinds of food and cooking and baking, laughter and joy forever. Okay? So, that's during the thousand years. What happens after the thousand years? Well, we know from from Revelation 20, Satan is released and gathers an army to make war. One final attack on Israel and the great white throne judgment where the dead are judged. We are not. Only the dead who never knew Christ will be judged and they will be cast into the lake of fire. I actually want to do a message on the lake of fire one day because a lot of people struggle with why would God send people to hell and cast them into a lake of fire? And there is a very simple reason. If you want to know, come ask me. Okay. So what happens after that? Then comes the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. And this is Revelation 21 through 22, verse 5. Do you guys care if I read it? Just listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So Jesus finishes this age after the thousand years. And he says, new heaven and new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There is no longer, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city of uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. The God and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain." For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for, the words, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children." But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven out of heaven from God it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel there were three gates on the east three on the north three on the south and three on the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. So he measured it not with a measuring tape like you get from like Lowe's. It was a gold measuring tape. Okay. A gold measure uh, to measure the city. Its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. So the city is is a square. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. Okay, in length, and as wide and high as it is long. So we're talking about like a cube. 12,000 stadia, do you know how long that is? 1,400 to 1,500 miles. It's half of the United States. That's the size of the city, and it's 1,400 miles tall. It's only 62 miles to get to outer space, which means this new earth is completely different than the earth we're living on. And this city is really big and really tall. Have you ever watched those movies where, uh, like the sci-fi movies, and you see like these cities and they're all like multi-level and you're like, how do they get from here to there? I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't know what this city's going to be like fully, obviously. But sometimes I picture, I wonder, 1,400 miles tall, what does a city need to be 1,400 miles tall for? Is there multiple levels of this city? It's going to be wild, guys. Okay. He measured the city. Okay. Uh, The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. That's 200 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold as pure glass. So, like, I don't know if you realize, but I guess pure gold is clear, which is wild. Pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first... 
foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. Not just the little one you see on the necklace. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see the temple in the city, I see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the earth, for, sorry, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. So there's still going to be nations in this new heaven and earth. And the, kingdoms of the, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. The glory and the honor of the nations will be, will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So apparently there's people or some type of creation that God has that cannot enter it, but only we can just something to think about. The angel of the Lord showed me the river of water of life as crystal as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb. Sorry, from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So the leaves are still going to be used for healing of nations. Wow. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You're all going to get tattoos of Jesus on your forehead. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the Sabbath rest that's coming to us for eternity. Can you imagine it? Just imagine it. <clears throat> I confidently expect this to come to pass. This is my hope, guys. This is what gets me through this world, literally. Some days I actually wake up and I'm like, Jesus, just come back now. I don't want to do today. Some days are like that. To be honest with you. But I'm confidently expecting this. And so, Hebrews 4, 8 in 11, well, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. I'm going to make every effort to enter that rest and I want to encourage you to make every effort to enter that rest and the way you do it, three things. Read about it, think about it, and talk about it. All the time. Read about it, think about it, talk about it. All the time. If we can keep this Sabbath rest coming into our minds and into our thoughts and into our eyes, often you will find yourself so much happier and so much stronger to get through. It is what the disciples did for the early church, and it's what we need to do as well. Amen? So my challenge for you, let's keep doing the 24 minutes a day. Do more if you want. Let's do the Sabbath day. Pick your day and do it together. And let's do this keeping the age to come in our view. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the pictures that you have given us in your word 
to show us the things to come, the Sabbath day rest that you have for us. Thank you, Lord. I ask you, Father, to help us to remember it, to keep it in front of us at all times. As we go through our day and we're thinking, man, this is a really hard day or this is a really awful situation. I wish I was not in this situation. Or that in those moments we will remember you casting our cares over to you and that you will bring to mind the promise of the Sabbath that is to come for us for all eternity. We love you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, I, if you guys need prayer, we do have prayer teams that will be up here. Feel free to come up here and pray. If you uh, were touched in your heart this morning to receive Jesus and you would like us to pray with you, please come up for that as well. And I'll just leave you guys with Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. All right, guys. I don't know what our series is next time, but, or what we're starting next week, but we're still working on it. All right, come back next week. <laughs>